Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. Today's guest is a diamond in the rough when it comes to marketing leadership. He's helped three different companies rebuild their marketing functions for scale and enter new markets. He's helped Adobe with their creative cloud SaaS transformation, ultimately having 1 billion revenue responsibility for that business and lives to tell his tale. Passionate about building strong teams and motions for scale, please welcome Jason McLeland to the show, CMO at Agolia. Jason, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? I am. Thanks, Jen. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. It's absolutely my pleasure to have you on the show. And I always like to kick off the same question every time, but I always find the answers so fascinating. Would you be able to give us a brief look at your professional journey and how you actually found yourself as CMO of Algolia? Yeah, I have a pretty, I think I have a pretty unique career journey. So I started off as a developer a million years ago. Uh, ended up over in a product role, building out you know a lot of what became Adobe's marketing cloud. In that role, I ended up jumping over to the dark side, what I call the dark side of sales and marketing, um, and helping Adobe build out the go-to-market for their creative cloud transformation. Once that got to be a big job, it ended up being kind of a boring job because it ended up being like a bureaucratic job. So then I went to a small company called Heroku to go be their CMO. Uh, they were acquired by Salesforce. So I ended up at Salesforce. Then I went over to a company called Domino Data Lab, which was a data science platform. I was their CMO. And then Algolia called and Algolia said, hey, we're trying to put all that stuff together. We're trying to sell to developers. We're trying to sell to marketers. Uh, and so we need somebody who can do that, you know, rebuild the marketing motion and marketing team, but also be able to speak to both business and uh, developers. So there you go. Essentially your forte. So um, <laughs> I'm really happy to have you on the show because I have to confess, right? I'm going to be radically transparent for a hot minute, right? We haven't had anybody on the show yet that's been a developer in a past life, if you will. So oh. I know <laughs> I've got a ton of questions lined up because I think that marketing developer relationship is definitely an interesting one to tap into yeah. that. But before I do, for anyone listening in, uh, not familiar with Ogolia, if you could give us like the one, one sentence, quick yeah. elevator pitch, what value do you bring to your customers? Yeah. So the way we like to think about it is there's billions of pieces of data in the world. There's billions of people. We make the APIs and make it easier for developers to put those things together. So we're the second biggest search service in the world. We do more search than Microsoft and Yahoo combined, uh, second only to Google. And Google partnered with us for their Google Cloud business. So, Congratulations. That's, that's an exciting partnership. It's an exciting partnership. And I mean, my job as CMO is to make sure that other people have like, heard that story and know the company. So we have a lot of work to do on that. Developers <laughs> don't love us, but the rest of the world, we've got to work on. There you go. So listen... Right. There's no shortage of things to do, action items, you know, meetings to be had. But what I'm curious about, especially in a field right where you, you do need to make a lot of noise because the you know, developers and marketers, interesting boat to be sharing. Yeah. But what keeps you up at night as CMO professionally? 
Yeah, there's a lot of things. Uh, for most of the last year, it's been hiring, you know, so we have doubled the company year on year. You know, we've gone from about 300 people to about 600 people year on year. Total rebuild of the marketing department. So we're now about 50 people, including DevRel and a growth team and, and other bits and pieces. Uh, and so that's a third to 50% of my week is sort of hiring. And it's an insane job market. And so, you know, you've got to be fast. And so it's like, you know, try to hire strong, try to hire the right person. But at the same time, you've got to be able to do that within like a week or two because it's just such a crazy market. At this point, fortunately, the team is mostly filled. So that's cool. So then the next bits are, you know, ongoing growth. And then how do you keep people uh, aligned? Right. And so it's like, are we working on the right things? You know, um, there's uh, in any company, there's gravity, you know, this sort of thing that's like constantly pulling you back down to like mundane meetings, uh, sort of busy work activities. And so really top of mind is like, are we getting like sort of the maximum out of each person, you know? Um, and the other thing is everyone is so like uh, fatigued with Zoom, right? And I mean, at this point, like more than half the company has been hired since the, the pandemic. And so they've never met each other. They've only met each other on Slack and Zoom. And so like, how do you build a culture? How do you build a team? How do you get people so they're excited to come to work? Because it's really easy for it to feel very uh, mercenarial, right? You know, and you're just like, I show up, I get a paycheck, I sign into Slack and Zoom, and then I go, like, I don't even go home. I'm already at home. I just turn the stuff off at the end of the day. Anyway, so it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of that, you know, sort of how do you build a team and a culture and keep people excited and drive, you know, maximum results. Yeah, listen, I definitely think hiring and especially now, right, it's, it's a crazy market out there. I think all of us, you know, listening are nodding our head. Yes, yes, it is. Um, what are some of the ways that you're finding are maintaining, you know, that that culture uh, of keeping people together, one, and then two, you know, this is what we've been in this environment now for going on three years, right? What is something you wish you would have known three years ago about kind of this type of work environment that you know now that might've helped you then uh, that you've learned along the way? Yeah. I mean, if I could go back, I'm sure we all have these things. So like, oh, if I could go back and do it over again, I think at the very beginning, we all thought it was temporary. Yeah. <laughs> right. You put sort of systems in place because you're like, oh, that's going to be two months or three months or maybe six months or whatever. But at some point, we're going to be back in the office and doing happy hours and whatever, whatever. Um, I mean, at this point, it's a totally different reality. So like the hiring profile, the hiring process, the culture building, pro- like everything's very, very different. You know, like the amount of time that you try to do like async work versus like, hey, we got to be in meetings all the time. Um, you know, now we invest a lot more in travel when things do open up. It's like, oh, things are open. Let's all go to Austin or let's all go to Boston, like things what? like that. Yeah. <laughs> but if I would have known it would have been a two-year journey, then of course I would have tried to implement those systems like uh, earlier, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to... Even still, I run into this. Like, um, I'm trying to, my, my team is spread throughout the world. I've got people in France and Europe and all over the US. Uh, and we're always trying to get together. We haven't been able to do that, right? Because, like, either the US doesn't let them in or their countries don't let us in. Um, and so I would have been more aggressive whenever we do have those brief windows of, like, I don't care about the cost. We're all freaking getting together and having a drink or having a coffee or just like, Seeing humans, something other than like a little Zoom icon. <laughs> and I'm laughing only because we, I think, you know, what was it? 10 minutes before we started this recording, I was having this exact conversation with our executive team, trying to get everybody together at an offsite. Uh, yeah. Tons of challenges popping up left and right. So I feel you on that one. Um, I want to shift the conversation for a moment and yeah. talk about what I like to call the elephant in the room. And, and we, okay. we hinted it, right? We hinted it earlier. But to yeah. get radically transparent, 
we as marketers often hear about the the relationship between sales and marketing and how everybody has to be aligned and there's you google sales and marketing and i think you know there's so many hits on that topic you can literally just spend your day on google yeah. educating yourself but what i think we hear about less which deserves equal importance if not perhaps in today's day and age more is the relationship between developers and marketers right Traditionally, yeah. devs and marketers, right? They've had an interesting relationship. But I'm curious from your point of view where you sit, especially as someone who came from the dev world and has now moved yeah. to the dark side of marketing, if you will, how are you, how do you approach that relationship? What does it look like? Um, what are its strengths? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, it's uh it's hard. Even as a former developer, I find myself falling into marketing ease. You know, the sort of like... Uh, what is uh, marketing ease? <laughs> uh, speaking a lot of like superlatives, right? Like we're the best, we're the fastest, you know, the most amazing thing ever, 100% better than blah, blah, blah. Uh, developers tend to be very uh, cynical, right? Which is like they're looking for BS. Like they go out of their way to look for BS or whatever. And so if you make an assertion, you have to back it up. And so if you're talking to a developer and you make an assertion that you're like, oh, I'm 100% faster than my competitor, show me the reference docs. Like, show me reference architecture. Show me examples where that's actually been proven in the wild. Like, don't just make these assertions or else I'm going to assume that your whole company is BS. Mm. And so as a marketer, you have to rewire your brain. And it's probably a good rewiring that we should all do anyway, which is you need to get the world excited, but be very mindful of how much you're making up. Right. Um, and literally think about your job as my job as a marketer is to help educate somebody else on how to do their job. You know, and so I want to show you like, oh, here's what we can do. Here's how other people are doing it. Here's what it looks like in real life. Here's how you get started. Uh, and I want to show you like other humans have actually done that. So that's something I've brought into every company is I leave with my customer as a hero. So it's not like, hey, I'm a tech company telling you how great I think I am. Like, let me go find Jen and like have her tell the story of like how I helped her do her job better. Yeah. So that works really well for developers. And I tend to think it works really well for marketing. I think we've gotten like too far ahead of ourselves or it's just like all shiny things and all, you know, 50% off and greatest and, you know, superlatives. Um, but it's tough. Like even as, like I said, even as a former developer, I look at my stuff sometimes. I'm like, oh man, there's too much uh, marketing ease. <laughs> I like that. I like that you have that check and balance in place and the ability to have that. And I also think what's interesting is that we all know the B2B buyer journey has changed, Right. And we know 70% of prospects are pretty much doing the research before they even talk to a sales. I think it's even more than that. Right, right. I think, right? It's, it's even more yeah. now. So what I love about what you just said is the fact that keeping it real, right? Checking yourself as a marketer, like, is it really 100%? Are we really the best? But how do you tell that story in an authentic way? And, right, authentic, right, is the buzzword that everybody's been talking about. But I think with the shift of the buyer's journey... And staying true to really like, how do you help someone do their job better? It almost makes and creates very easily that very authentic marketing, right? If you're doing your job well. Um, So speaking of devs and marketers, what would you say besides kind of the the keeping yourself in, in check and balance as a marketer with using the right jargon and the right language, what would you say is the biggest challenge between developers and marketers? And why do you think that relationship matters so much, especially in SaaS with your track record of kind of scaling and growing companies? Yeah. So one thing I've run into, so there's both like internal and external, right? So the internal is the internal in, inside of your company relationship. 
between the tech and prod folks and the marketing folks. And then the other one is as a marketing person uh, selling to developers, that sort of relationship. The internal relationship, a thing that's been hard is that skepticism on, hey, marketing seems easy. What do you guys actually do? It seems like you design send emails. Like, do we, do we really need to do that? Make a great product. Don't people know about that? Uh, and so having the fortitude to not take that personally and the sort of patience to be able to explain to people, uh, you know what? Like, I mean, scientifically proven, like you've got to see, you know, a name like nine times before you have recall. You've got to see, you know, you've got to hear a story, you know, three times in three different ways before you have recall. Um, so to be able to educate the developers internally on, hey, here's why this is important and here's where I need your help. Because ultimately, if you're trying to sell a technical product, you want to enlist the help of your internal developers because they know your audience, right? Um, and the most credible or one of the most credible ways to reach developers is through content marketing. And that's where your internal developers help, right? Which is like, hey, help me write reference architectures. Help me write, you know, great documentation that's like uh, getting started recipes. Help me write... Um, and they're usually pretty passionate about that, right? Of like, you know, hey, I'm a developer. I'm helping another developer do something cool. Your job as a marketing is figuring out like, how do you unlock that? But you first have to build that credibility of like, it's not going to be BS. Like, I'm not going to put shiny, you know, buy it now, 50% off, limited time only. <laughs> um, and it's literally, I was talking to a company I advised the other day and their website literally was saying, it was like, you know, buy now, like urgency. And I'm like, it's SaaS. Like, you're not running out, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I can buy tomorrow. I can buy anytime. <laughs> like, that's such a weird, like, call to action. Um, you know, it's like limited supply kind of thing. I'm like, it's not limited. It's a SaaS application. Like, what, is Amazon going to run out of bandwidth for you? Um, but those are the kind of things that developers tend to think, right? Like, if they come to your website, they're just like, this is stupid. Therefore, I think your, your company is stupid because I, I understand how you work. Um, externally, it's the, uh, I guess, don't do what I just said, right? Which is like, don't lead with like the superlatives. Don't lead with like, you know, but lead with the, hey, you know, come here. How, uh, I don't know, GitHub was able to do something that they weren't able to do before. You know, you come here, you can go see Mariah from GitHub, hear her story. Here's a reference architecture. Here's some starter code. Here's a, like, if you can lead with those stories and then your job as a marketer is figure out like, how do I magnify that, right? Across social, how do I magnify that across? Do we go talk at RubyConf or JavaConf? Do we go do a hackathon? Do we go, like, what does that look like? That's kind of your job as marketer, right? It's like, okay, like I found something that's really in, in, impactful and exciting. Now I've got to go be the megaphone and try to get it out there. Um, so do that, right? But you know, if, you're, if you're buying, uh, if it's all like, hey, 20% off, you know, buy now, limited, whatever kind of ads, or, you know, the most, you know, the most bestest, greatest, whatever thing in the world, like developers are like, they don't care, right? Like what they want to do is they want to build cool stuff. Yeah, listen, and, and they're building incredible stuff, right? Like us marketers should not interrupt the developers in the work that they need to do because it's phenomenal. But one thing, I, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball because one thing yeah. that comes to mind when I'm thinking about the relationship between marketers and developers and you know us marketeers, if you will, we're supposed to be expert communicators, whether that's internally and or externally. And yeah. let's say you have you know your backend developers or even your front-end developers working right day in and day out on coding and making sure the product is working the way it needs to. And then you have the marketers, you know, creating the positioning for the, the product itself. Do you find that, right, that there's ever a disconnect between developers and understanding kind of what they're developing, not necessarily for who, but like how it works. And then how do you, 
how do you tackle that? Right. Because I've always been taught everybody in the, the company, right. And this is probably like my sales background, but like, it was always like, everybody should always be selling. Everybody should always know, like yeah. you never know who you're going to meet. But I always found that sometimes for developers, they're in their box and us marketers were in our box and the worlds don't always collide. How do you, yeah. How are you tackling that friction or yeah, there's, there's two, two sides of that, that I've seen a lot of over the years. One is sometimes the development team can just want to develop what they think is cool. And there's not necessarily like a clear vision and point of view of like, okay, where, where's the company going? How does this all mean? Um, and I run into that in almost every company where it's just like, well, we think it's cool. <laughs> um, and then as a marketer, then you run into issues because you're like, well, who was this built for? Right? Like, what's the use case? How do I know if they're happy? What are the competitive things? And it's like, I mean, sometimes, and, and there's always like the Steve Jobs argument, right? If like, you know, well, he just made stuff up. And look how successful Apple was. Like nobody knew that they needed an iPod or nobody knew that they needed an iPhone or nobody knew that they needed a, you know, whatever I watched. Um, and he's just like, no, the world needs this. And it turned out that the world did need it. Uh, but that's literally a one in a million, right? And most of the time your bread and butter is have a queer point of view. Like, why are you better than somebody else? Um, and that should help guide your product. So anyway, so there is a bit of that, of like that back and forth between marketing and, and developer, which is like, Hey, in order to help make your product successful, because you want people to use the thing that you built, right? That's your baby. In order for me to be able to do that, I need to have a queer POV of like, what are you building? Who are you building it for? How does it all work together? Or else you end up with this weird Frankenstein product that it just kind of does a bunch <laughs> of other things. The other, the second part that I run into a lot is developers tend to be very modest, right? And that they think of all the things that their product can't do. And they think of all the bugs. Like you're, you're close to your baby, right? And so you're like, oh man, like there's got some cracks over there and some bugs over there. And so I don't want to talk about it because it's not ready yet. Um, a thing that I've always tried to do and educate the development team is all of your competitors' products also suck. It's the nature, it's the nature of where we are, right? I mean, software is evolving so rapidly or whatever, like everybody's stuff is essentially alpha or at best beta. Meanwhile, there are real human beings who are trying to do their jobs and they need to know about your software. And even, even, even the bugs, right? Even like the ugly parts of your baby or whatever, like tell them about it, but you got to tell them. Uh, and so at Heroku, what I did is I started bringing our developer customers in. I did like a lunch and learn, which is like literally I'd buy pizza or whatever, like bring developers from outside in where they would beg the company. They're like, I need you to like, they're like, I hate being marketed to you, but you guys really got to market more because you built stuff and I didn't know. And even if it's like an alpha or a beta, it would have made my job a lot easier. Mm. So like building systems like that really help developers go, oh, I've got to tell people about the thing. Like, don't be embarrassed of the shortcomings and like, oh, I, I think it could be better. Of course it could be better, right? Like, hopefully your company's going to be around for 50 years or whatever, and you have forever to make it better. <laughs> but meanwhile, like, you got to tell the world about what you built. And you, you have to be excited. Like, minimize the superlatives, but you should still have the energy and excitement of like, we built something that's unique and cool, and we think it's going to help people. And so, like, try to get those customer voices inside so that people can go, okay, like, I realize there's a real human being who's struggling that I could actually help. Nice. Like, uh, that goes a long way. It does go a long way. If you could give a CMO, fellow CMO, who's working together with the marketing and the developers and, and communication, what is the one piece of advice? Like if you only could give one on this yeah. topic of how to inspire developers to be proud of their work. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm re-listening to a book called Play Bigger 
about category creation. And so very much top of mind for me is having a strong point of view around like why you're different. Um, because ultimately that's not a marketing thing. That's a company thing. And so like right now, that's very much top of mind, uh, you know, like get down to that one sentence, that two sentence, you know, that sort of short form of why are we different? Like what's awesome about us versus somebody else and use that to help drive, you know, I mean, help drive across like, what are we building and why, what are we marketing and why, who are we selling to and why it's really easy. Uh, it's like a, it's like an accordion. Um, I see companies do this all the time where it's like, Every, I don't know, six to 12 months, you go and you become hyper-focused. You're like, okay, we got that point of view, the two, three-line thing. And then over time, it's like, well, what about this? And what about that? And, what, and you're like, what are we selling to now? We have this like weird nebulous thing. And then like, okay, we've got to do this regrounding. Okay. So right now, it's very much top of mind of the, okay, we're, we're sort of out in the ethers selling a bunch of different things. Why do we exist? Right? Like get back to basics or whatever and be super clear because it is a noisy, crazy market. It's rapidly evolving. And if you don't have that clear, like North star of who you are, why you exist, why you're important, then you're not going to stand out. Uh, like, like top that. of mind right now. <laughs> so everyone, you know, listening and you probably go on social media, you're going to have this clip because I think it's a very valid piece of advice, you know, going out, but it's true, right? You, you've got to find why you're different and you have to be proud of why you're different, right? It's not a cliche. It sounds cliche, but it's, it's so true. It's hard. Like it's, it's really hard being different. Um, I've been fortunate enough in my career that several times now I've been in positions where we were doing something super crazy, where literally you have Wall Street, you have investors, you have the board, you have employees, everyone is like, WTF are you doing? Um, that can be really hard, right? You know, it's easy to be like, well, we're exactly like this other guy or whatever, but we're cheaper or we're faster because everyone's like, that's safe, right? But to sort of truly step out in the unknown and go, you know what? We think the world should be different three years from now. And we're going to go all in on doing that. And we're either heroes or we fail, you know, who cares? <laughs> uh, it's hard. Absolutely. So listen, according to CMOs, uh, and I, I have this data pulled from, we ran a CMO survey to understand, you know, where CMOs were investing their time and resources in 2021. So I'm curious, right? We found that the top two most effective B2B marketing initiatives during last year were social media, which I think is a surprise to nobody, um, and email marketing, which again, I think still makes a lot of sense. Um, What I'm curious to understand, especially after interviewing over 200 CMOs to understand that, would you be able to share a little bit about what your 2022 social plan or marketing plan in general looks like? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a big question. Uh, so I've been working now for a little over 20 years. It's scary to admit that. <laughs> uh, and for 20 years now, people have been talking about the death of email. You know, it's like, well, you know, you've got open rates that are in the single or low double digits. You know, you've got click through rates that are in the single to low double digits. You've got, you know, everyone feels like they're spammed. That said, uh, email is still the most effective. Right. You know, um, but where email is going is more personalized, more customized. I mean, at this point, so at this point, like sending a generic email is mostly stupid. Right. Because I mean, at this point, like I know, I know everything about you. Right. I mean, not to sound creepy or whatever, That's but like, fine. Literally, I've it's stalked like, you on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's totally fine, Jason. <laughs> but it's just like, as a marketer or whatever, like I know what TV you view, I know what websites you go to, I know your demographic information, I know your buying intent based on the websites you've gone to, I know like your journey coming in, like how you've used, like either used our freemium version, used our website. 
Uh, and so my communications with you across everything, like my end product, my website, my email, my sales conversations should be hyper personalized where it's like, I know Jen. Right. And so that's where I think people, uh, the world's moving on. So I'm making a lot of investment in that, right. Is building out the data systems and the, uh, you know, the dynamic sort of capability systems to send smarter emails. Uh, there's a lot of work. Like I went to, uh, I went to a sales and marketing exec dinner thing last night. It was interesting. It was like half sales, half marketing. Um, <laughs> back to the thing you mentioned earlier, we said like 70% of people made their uh, decision before they talked to sales. On the marketing side, we mostly felt like that was 90% of people had made their decision. Yeah. And it was interesting because the sales guys are like, no, we add value. And the marketers are like, the last thing I want to do is talk to a sales guy. Like I only want to talk to you once I know what I want to buy. And if I don't know what I want to buy, I'm going to go hire an agency to help me versus like go talk to a bunch of sales guys. Anyway, so it's, uh, we'll see how that goes. So making a lot of investment in um, getting better at email. And the reason why I told you that story is because there was a company there that does, uh, it's like video email. Oh. Um, and I've seen, I've seen that be successful, but what I don't know is, is that a long-term strategy or is that a gimmick? Meaning like right now people are opening up video emails because you're like, oh, here's a smiley face who wants to talk to me and I'm stuck at home, you know, for two years. So I'm going to open this thing. But like six months, a year from now, is that real? Or is that just going to go the way of like regular email? I don't know. What, what do you think? What's your gut? Uh, my gut is it's hokey. Like no offense, you know, but it's just, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's sustainable. Uh, like I don't want to watch a video, right? Like, uh, I'm, like the thing with an email is like, if your subject is interesting, I can open the email within two seconds, go, okay, is this interesting or not? With your video, I have no idea. Like you're asking me for a time commitment to watch 15, 40, two minutes, whatever the thing may be. Uh, is it worth it to me or not? Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's a temporary thing, but we had a, a pretty spirited debate on that last night, which is like, <laughs> yeah, email is working, but is it like a gimmick or is it a real thing? Uh, sorry, video email. Uh, social is an area that we're investing a lot in, but social is an area that at technical companies, it's been, it's, uh, it's really hard to maintain credibility. And so that's where it's like, you know, being very mindful, who's running your social channels and like, are you actually starting and engaging in like provocative, meaningful conversations or are you just posting like flashy pictures and getting likes or whatever, but it's not like really that meaningful. And again, it kind of depends on your business. Like if you're Nike, then you probably just want influencers and likes, right? You know, but if you're trying to sell like B2B software, then it's just like, let me tell you about the best practices in ABM or the best practices in like uh, personalized one-to-one marketing or whatever the thing may be. And you're actually driving like real conversations. So yeah, investing heavily in social, but sort of trying to deepen, deepen what that actually means for us. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a tough one. I think, you know, what I'm seeing on the social front is that employee advocacy is having actually a bigger impact in, in many cases than, you know, obviously, right, you need to post on your corporate social channels. And I think employer branding is kind of the hot topic. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing in your space, but like employer branding to kind of fit with what we spoke about keeping you up at night, right? Hiring and just making sure your company is being perceived as a great place to work, to attract talent. But the personal channels of your colleagues, I think are kind of where the, the power, if you will, is lying because that's where the relationships are taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, at every company I've been in, we've invested a lot in our employees' LinkedIn's, you know, because of that, uh, our employees' Twitter channels, because of that, you know, making it easy for them to share like the company's point of view and then sort of magnify that and then engage in a conversation, giving people guidelines, you know, making them comfortable of like what you can say and how you can say and what your like public voice is. So people are like, okay, I can speak on behalf of the company. Like that's still outside the comfort zone for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and this goes back to that having a strong point of view and being a mission-driven company. 
is you want that across all channels because that helps attract the right kind of people and it helps uh, defer like the wrong kind of people, right? People who are like, that sounds really cool. I want to be on that train or that like, you guys sound crazy. Like, no, thank you. Um, so don't be afraid. I mean, it's like sales, right? Like, don't be afraid to qualify people out. Be like, you know, this is what we do. We do a great job at this. If you're looking for something else, cool, man. Like go do your thing. Um, but quite often people are like, no, I want to try to win all, you know, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to come work for me. I want everybody. It's just like, you're not going to stand out and you're going to attract the wrong kind of people. Yep. Touche. I agree. I agree with that a thousand percent. So listen, staying true to our 20 to 30 minute, uh, popular podcast, uh, episode, I'm going to hit you with the last question. It's one of my favorites. Um, and we were speaking right about social media. So it fits nicely. What is one thing, Jason, that you can tell us right now about yourself that we would not be able to know from simply looking at your LinkedIn profile? Yeah. So I started my career before I was a developer. I was a truck driver. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, blue collar farm boy or whatever, moved to the Bay Area. I was a truck driver delivering stuff, driving trucks all over. And I saw, you know, kids my age. So I was like 20 or whatever. I saw kids my age driving Audis. And I said, hey, how do I do that? So I asked the guy and he said, uh, teach yourself Java. And so I did. Uh, so yeah, 20 some years ago. <laughs> so yeah, just uh, wise words of advice. You know, anyone out there looking for something uh, interesting, just teach yourself Java. <laughs> there you go. Or at this point, it'd be like React or, you know, I don't know, something, but still. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to get radically transparent with me, for diving into the world of developers and marketers. I really think it's fascinating. If anybody listening in wants to continue the conversation with you, learn more about your team, uh, where is the best place to connect to reach you? Yeah, either LinkedIn or Twitter. LinkedIn and Twitter, here we come. <laughs> Thanks okay. so much, Jason. Awesome. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.